Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the game podcast, Qatar 2022. Today, there are shock exits. Germany go out at the group stage, as do Belgium. And there are surprise teams going through as well. Fantastic news for Morocco and Japan will dissect all the big controversies, including whether the ball was over the line or not. You know what we're talking about. Stay with us. This is The Game. Hello again. This is The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wisencroft alongside Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark to reflect on what was simply an incredible evening in Group E at the World Cup in Qatar. Japan finishing top of the group. After a stunning comeback win over Spain, it finished 2-1 at the Halifa International Stadium. Spain do go through in second place, and it means the Germans go out in the group stage for a second straight World Cup. If you didn't see the match, Doan equalised with a powerful effort. The real controversy in the game that I'm sure we'll reflect on uh, came as Matoma stretched to keep the ball on the pitch. It set up the winner for Tanaka, and that is the goal which ended up putting Germany out. Okay, and Japan through, of course, but Germany out. So over the course of the 90 minutes this evening, the top two in that group were Spain and Japan, Spain and Germany, Spain and Japan again, Japan and Spain, (laughs) Japan and Costa Rica, and then finally Japan and Spain as first and second respectively. Morocco at one point was facing all four in the last 16, at some stage, right? Each of them. It was a bonkers night, a totally bonkers night, which was so hard to keep up with, but was absolutely thrilling entertainment, start to finish, really. And and, and look, uh, Japan, they, you know, they shocked us again. They've beaten Spain, they've beaten Germany, they're through as group leaders. They deserve huge credit. We'll start with that match. Of course we will, Gregor. And it was, like I say, a fantastic night. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit dizzy at to be honest, <laughs> as you see all those permutations, the sheer prospect that Costa Rica at one point were going through, like it just comes completely bamboozled by that. So incredible drama. And as you say, watching it here at home as well and kind of listen to the, the halftime punditry and whatnot, it was all just kind of gushing about Spain and how, you know, how dominant they were, how this is the, the way a midfield should play in elite football, modern football and We've got so much to learn from them. And then Japan just went, hang on a minute. We've had enough of this exhibition stuff. Bang. <laughs> just, and went for them. Like, how many times have we said in recent days that it's just when everything's on the line, 
you're just seeing a new a new side to a lot of teams. Or we've seen, you know, we have seen glimpses of this in of, in Japan. Of um, to be fair to them, but you know, a bit of jeopardy and teams are going for it. And what a spectacle it made in the in that second half! Incredible. I mean, similar to Gregor, I'm struggling to keep up, to be honest. I've just run for a train straight from the office, having been uh, heading out with my backpack on, my coat on, and then someone said, oh, Costa Rica have scored. Right, better sit back down again then. I mean, it was absolutely remarkable. Hugh, I'm glad you kept up with the permutations. I must give a little shout out to uh, one of our young sub-editors, Willis, who earlier in the night said to me, Tom, I think it could be quite interesting tonight. I mean, Maybe we could do a little table keeping track of who goes top and when the goals go in. And by the end of the night, he looked like he was the worst suggestion ever. But he did a fantastic job. So, I mean, it is one of those special nights, isn't it? We're talking from a journalistic point of view, but it is one of those special nights where you feel very privileged to be um, a sports journalist covering all this madness. But one thing kind of Gregor alluded to there, and I don't know whether, Hugh, you felt it by being out there, but to me, this is the World Cup of the second half, isn't it? You basically could have, if you boxed off all the first half, both even in the early stages, but even in these games of jeopardy, the drama of the second half action in this World Cup has been truly extraordinary. And I don't think any team embodies that more than Japan. When you think about those performances, you think about that Germany win. Again, it felt like a kind of second half, as Gregor said. They they obviously had some kind of chat, some kind of special oranges at half time, and came and came out and absolutely blew them away. It was extraordinary. And they, I, I'm delighted as well because they're the kind of things that you want to see happen. Cynically in the office, you know, there's some old timers there going, oh, well, for all those wins, you know, it's going to be Spain and Germany going through. I know that sounds like an impression myself. It wasn't me saying that. But this is what we want to see. We want to see teams like Japan going through. So I was delighted with their second half performance and delighted to see them go through. All the information was ahead of you, Tom. It was gifted to you. It was gifted to you all before the tournament, okay? It's not just the tournament of the second half. This tournament is a great leveller. It's called the great leveller because of the one-week warm-up time. This tournament shows us that in the future, we don't need warm-up games. We don't need a three- or four-week gap. We just end the tournament one weekend, start the World Cup the next, and anything can happen. Whoa, whoa, because, whoa. <laughs> because, <laughs> You're getting ahead of yourself here. <laughs> because that, my friends, that has been the difference at this World Cup for me. Even watching Spain at the end of that game, I was watching them, I was thinking, they haven't really, you know, they scored seven in the first match, but they still haven't really got that rhythm where when they were searching for a goal at the end, it was like, how do we definitely score here? You know, how do we make sure? We, I'm, not, I'm not trying to take it away from Japan's defensive performance. All I'm saying is Germany weren't running at 100%. I, we'll talk about it later. I went to the game today between Croatia uh, and Belgium. You know, Belgium have an extra 20% in them. I think Croatia have another 5 or 10% in them. The best sides in the world currently aren't yet hitting their strides. And that is why Gregor and I reflected on why, at the moment, we think Brazil and France are streets ahead, because they look like they have. But in terms of everyone else in the tournament, you know, the gap between them is has been reduced. And I think one of the reasons is, I think as we get to this third group game now, we might finally start to see some of the good sides, some of the bigger sides, if you like, finally at their maximum, you know, in the next couple of games as we run into the last stages of the tournament. Before then, it's been very level. And and I think genuinely a lack of warm-up preparation has been the difference. But do you think that's physically though? Or do you think that's like group bonding? Do you think that's teamwork? Because, you know, you can make the argument that it's the same for all teams. I know certain nations have leagues that finish at different times and things. But like, are you saying that that's a physical thing? Because surely, you know, fine, you can make the case that these best the best teams have players in the Champions League and they're playing more matches. But 
essentially you're talking about the same physically build up time. So are you talking like time to gel, time to work together as a squad? Because when it comes to some of these bigger nations, you know, we're going to come to talk about Belgium. That's a group of players that have known each other for years, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not necessarily about that. I think part of it is form as well. Teams working themselves out, who's playing well, who's combining well, patterns of play. You know, I think sometimes your patterns of play do revert to, you know, who's doing well and where you're you're finding the most joy during a, a football match. Like, I honestly think that, you know, for example, with Rashford, England now will play towards him more often because they know that he's in such a, a hot vein of form, but they've taken a few games to work it out before he wasn't going to be a guaranteed starter, was he, Marcus Rashford? Like, none of us were saying Rashford has to start at the start of the tournament. Now, you can't imagine him being dropped. So what I mean is a lot of players are working out who can cope best in this environment. It's not, you know, it's not just the heat. It's not just physicality. It is combinations on the field. You know, we, we saw, I, I watched Argentina against Poland, and I, I saw from the start of that game to the end of that game, having been at their game against Mexico, where they found it very difficult to score until Messi's moment of magic, what I saw against Poland is, right, they've settled in now. They're in a groove. It's very hard to get the ball back from them. I know, again, Poland didn't play great, but what I'm saying is a lot of sides are now figuring themselves out. Like, okay, this is who we are at this tournament. These are the players that are working best. These are the combinations that are working well. This is what we can rely on. And I don't think some sides figured that out. And other sides, I think... I think the interesting thing is, as an underdog, none of those things matter as much because you're only going to be doing one thing. Might be chasing the ball, might be defending crosses into the box. Like if you don't have possession a lot, if it's not, if the onus isn't on you to create chances, then it's much more straightforward. Teams that play on the counter attack, well, they know what they're going to do. They, you know, there is only one or two things that they can possibly do: long ball it, chase it, maybe get free kicks up the pitch, get the ball into the box, try and score from set pieces. But the, like I say, the bigger nations where we expect them to control and dominate the game, find patterns of play, create clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities, we're only just seeing most of those big nations emerge and some are already gone, you know. And, and as we'll talk about a little bit later with Germany, you know, they, the patterns of play never really came through for them. They were just 11 individuals out there, some very good, some not quite at the level. So, yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Japan because uh, I don't know who tipped them on the podcast to do well. Can't remember. Um, but yeah, I do. I listen. I do want to give them credit. I think it will boil down to that moment. So we got to answer it from our genuine opinions, the angles that we've seen. Are we all happy that the ball wasn't over the line, Gregor? Yes, and I, I, I'm not just saying this, but I always was, and that's purely because I didn't see an angle that was definitive in my view that the ball was out. And in that case, I think you've got to go with the goal. You know, some of the kind of conspiratorial stuff that we were hearing in the in the TV studio afterwards was getting a bit ridiculous. And fair enough, they maybe didn't have access to an image that sort of emerged fairly soon afterwards. But as I say, I felt it at the time, and I, f- I hadn't seen anything to kind of convince me otherwise. So I, yeah, I think it was the right decision. And even if there is this kind of slenderest bit of doubt, even if they didn't have the technology, I would still want them to go with the goal. Yeah, goal. Absolute goal. Not 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 just because it's a great first story, but it's also great for the cover of the game supplement that we did uh, just before I left to rush and do this podcast, which is a beautiful aerial shot that shows the ball just just in by the by the tiniest of margins, and we've been able to do the headline: the ball stays in. Dot dot dot. Germany crash out. So you know if that if that's not worth it, then nothing else is. But as Gregor says. We have so many, so many options with TV angles and things. And, you know, Gary Neville and others were sharing the angle that was like side on. 
and you know it did look out from there but the the one that matters is the over overhead one and the ball it hasn't fully completely crossed the line people making the good point as well about when you think of people taking corners and the ball over only literally overhanging the small quadrant in order to take a corner and that that's allowed that's the same principle here it only needs to overhang and I mean, well, it's huge, huge credit. It's any, it's, this is one of the great cliches of watching World Cup football, any football, but any young kid watching that goal and might remember that goal will never, ever give up on a ball going out of play, ever, ever again, will they? Because that is absolutely extraordinary the way you get that in. And it's not just keeping it in, it's like actually being able to like almost chop it back into the ground and backwards. It was like a kind of sandwich. And I was like, wow, how's he done that? And it was just, what an impact, that such an impactful kind of, few minutes just wow incredible moment let's talk about Germany who did beat Costa Rica what four goals to two in the end they could have had all the goals that they needed to go through to be honest on the night you know had they not been as wasteful they might have scored seven or eight goals against Costa Rica this evening obviously there was a point Costa Rica were 2-1 up and they were going through but the real question around Germany is how bad is this I spoke to a couple of German journalists at the start of the competition asked them what their expectations were for Germany. And all of them said it was about building towards hosting the next Euros. This tournament was about embedding some youngsters, the new generation, like the likes of Jamal Musiala, maybe getting them some experience and continuing under Hansi Flick, building towards the possibility of challenging for the European Championship on home soil um, in a couple of years' time. I wonder how big a blow this will be for German football, particularly as they were already knocked out in the group stage at the last World Cup. So what do you think? What do you think, Tom? I'll start with you. Yeah, it's a really strange one because I remember the the last World Cup and it had the feel of time for a reset, you know, huge kind of big um, deep dives into German footballing culture and how we've come full circle from the early days when they last, you know, got to that final against Brazil and shocked everyone um, back in 2002 and the progress they made from there. This World Cup just just doesn't feel like that, and I don't know about you two, but I I found myself watching them and thinking they're quite good. <laughs> they're quite good in patches at times. Quite often when Musial is on the ball, but I've I I was watching them in this game and against Spain, against Japan they were poor and they kind of were hit with that sucker punch and didn't really know how to react. But in both the Spain game and in this game, I was thinking they're pretty good. Like this is this is this is a real shock in that sense. So I I would be interested to see whether there is a big kind of deep dive, like big expose, big kind of what do we do now type thing. Because a lot of the players are there. It doesn't quite feel the same as some of these other teams that have gone out, but like we're going to come to Belgium, for example. When you look at that team, Sane, Musiala, Nabri, that as a kind of forward three behind the front man is pretty potent, pretty young, pretty um, you know diverse in terms of their skill sets. And like through the team, Nicolas Sewell, Rudiger, Kimmich, you know, I know Neuer's towards the end of his career and Muller as well, but it's not like it's a whole rebrand of German football is needed. To me, anyway, that, that's what, what it feels like. So it does feel like to me that perhaps they were just hit by that sucker punch of that first defeat against Japan, and that's ultimately where they paid the price. I saw somewhere tonight that Germany, uh, having gone out, had the biggest XG differential in, of any team in the World Cup. Apparently had 10, their XG was 10 or something like that in terms of the goals they should have scored, yeah. Yeah, you're tempted to kind of say that that kind of shows that this doesn't mean much, but it does tell you it does tell you something about the way they've played. And I, I just think back to when 
after the podcast we had after they played Spain. And I remember thinking, there's not a great deal between these two teams, and I still don't think there is. I still think that they look fairly well-oiled machines for great swathes of the game, but they both have serious chinks in their armour, and a lot of that is is defensive. I just think whether it's individual mistakes or whether it's kind of just dodgy defensive lines from offside, trying to play offside traps, things like that, they just haven't looked convincing uh, defensively. And while Spain are kind of more dominant on the ball, and and again in the first half tonight, they were they were brilliant. The way that they kind of they they get overloads in the centre of the pitch. We always talk about overloads out wide. They do it in the centre of the pitch. They just pile so many bodies and they play it so quick between themselves and move it move it brilliantly. Anytime players are wide, it's to stretch the back four and they create space. They do it brilliantly. But again, I, I, I took notes down at half time. I, I watch the games and I take little notes down here and they're not great scripts, but just something to remember when I'm coming on. And the thing I wrote was like, I'm still not. You know, they they look like a well-oiled machine, but I'm still not convinced they're going to come close to winning it because they have flaws. They have flaws defensively and the second half got underway and then we saw it. So I feel the same thing about Germany. I know they have, there was, one's gone through and one's not, but it was fine margins in the end. And one's going to have a massive post-mortem now and the other's still going to go, go on and have a chance of progressing to the late stages of the tournament. I still don't think they'll win it. I think Germany suffer from an affliction that we can understand in English football over identity and in particular not needing to change, not needing to evolve for quite some time to remain one of global football's powerhouses. This era obviously came 25 whatever years ago for maybe longer even uh, for England but I think it's hitting Germany now that the identity that they've always had that we all associate with the German national team, the, the thing that gave birth to the phrase you know you can never count the Germans out Basically, that's gone out the window. It's harder to count them in, to be perfectly honest. But the reason it's gone out the window is they are trying to move to a new identity, a new style of football that matches the sort of, you know, the the fast pace, the technical ability of the best teams in world football right now. And and it's good to put yourself on that path if that's going to be the future of football. But currently, the thing that's worked so well for them is that level of resilience. You mentioned the defence, Gregor. I mean, you just doesn't matter who they call up they would call sort of four faceless nameless defenders up from the Bundesliga and they'd still end up having the best defence of the World Cup do you know they won the last time they won the World Cup they had four centre-backs playing you know it was like they didn't care about having full-backs it didn't make any difference do you see what I mean and now it's like where are they going what's the identity this number nine you know Fulkrug almost showed us in the, the I think he scored in three of his four Germany appearances already but I think he just immediately, the fact that he's played more games in in the second tier in German football than he has in the top tier, you know, being at this World Cup and it being such a great opportunity for him. But ultimately, the fact that they were able to play off of him just as a number nine, just that physicality, that body in the box, when he was on the pitch, that is, I think showed that that was sort of an identity that they could all understand. And when it was a bit of a false nine they couldn't get it. Like, I just don't think they've got it. And Musiala, this sort of inspirational number 10, like, he is a fantastic player. He's only a kid. To have him as a focal point of their team now, it will also take an identity that German football, maybe not German football's the wrong phrase, but the German national team hasn't had, hasn't been built on a mercurial talent, you know, someone who's sensational, 
you know, some weeks but not others. You know, they the hazard, if you like, the Eden hazard that Belgium have had over the last decade. They, they haven't had to do that in Germany. They've always had. You used to see the lineup and just think, wow, powerful, quick, intelligent footballers. You're going to be in for a game. They're going to be aggressive in your face. You will not get an opportunity against the Germans. And now you just think, well, you will. You've got a good chance of beating them. And until they get back to that level, that sort of focus and mentality themselves, I don't think they've taken a fear factor into German, into international football. And that means that teams will go out there to try and beat them. No one's worried about playing Germany anymore. I don't know what it's going to take to turn that around. But at the moment, I don't see it anyway. I've, I've ranted. I agree with you to an extent. but And it's always very tempting to kind of take a... Major tournaments are a snapshot in time. And the only thing in my eyes that takes away the kind of fear factor from Germany is the fact that they've, they've collapsed in the last two, two major tournaments. I still come into the tournament thinking, this is a good side who have got a chance of going all the way. But in this period of time, this snapshot, they don't have, as you've talked, we've spoken about, a kind of out-and-out number nine, someone who you, can guarantee, who you think is going to be a goal scorer, and they don't have a convincing back line. Everything in the, everything, all the rest in the middle is not bad. I would say the same about Spain. It's just always, you know, we, we always understand why this is our job, but we always try and look for kind of common themes and, and patterns and what's, what's this World Cup telling us. It's a snapshot in, in time. And the, the, probably the biggest thing, the most relevant thing is what you said at the start, that it's a weird, weird World Cup. It's happened with a week's notice <laughs> after the season ended, uh, sorry, broke up. And there's been very little preparation time. It's happening in a, a different part of the world. And... Perhaps there's been a slight shift in, in attitudes as well in terms of a lot of nations that were historically kind of lesser nations. They now have, in football in terms, they now have players playing in some of the top leagues in, in Europe as a matter of course, you know, common, commonly. That's that's the way it is now. So, you know, I think it'll take a while to be able to pick apart the bones of this. And I'm not sure that, you know, it might go from here that there's no shocks. Who knows? Uh, I hope not. Gregor, I can't agree, though. I can't agree. I'll have to give credit to Archie Reintuck because I saw him tweet this stat on Twitter a little bit earlier on. He said he read it in Kicker this morning in Germany. But it's an interesting one. He says, since being knocked out of Euro 2016, Germany have not only conceded in every tournament game that they've played, they've gone behind at some point in all 11 of them. That is a trend that goes far beyond this tournament. Okay. I stand, I stand corrected. <laughs> Come on, Gregor. I know, I know it's late, and I know you've got a, a little one, but don't, don't back down that easily, mate. Come on. I mean, like I say, I've got I, I, I've got I just feel that each the German each phrase week. for that is a howitzer. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but do either of you agree with me watching the German team, though? That if you like, say, and this is a probably a pertinent point given Musiala's um, nationality controversy, but like looking at the Spain team and the Germany team. I would like be more afraid of and would want more of Germany's players in my team if you were picking them than than Spain's, I think. I think Spain, perhaps as a collective, they've perhaps not got as many of the issues that Germany have, like some of the th- stats you're mentioning there, Hugh, with eight you know difficulties in defence. But in terms of talented players going forward, that's where I mean in terms of there being a kind of big crisis in German football. Looking at those, you know, Nabri, even Sane, I know he flats to deceive sometimes, Musiala, there's more players. And even though I think going going forward, I think teams would, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being like too, too, too Germanic here, but I, I think a lot of teams would maybe rather face Spain than face Germany in the knockouts. 
I was with you until that last that that last uh, sentence. Oh damn it! Because, no, because what I think that actually speaks to is the kind of prevailing dominant style of play in in European football now, which is more Germanic than Spanish. It's about high intensity, fast paced. But the other thing is that really doesn't tend to work that much in international football because of all the same things we've just spoken about. They don't have the same time to drill it. They don't have you know, all the work they can they can put on in the training ground. They don't have the preparation time, and particularly so this time. So having said all that, playing against the Spain team, you watch them for large swathes of, the, of this tournament, and you know it must have been suffocating for Japan in that first half. They were just walking around chasing shadows. And still, I think there's, I saw a stat where they, they had 17.8% possession or something. It's the lowest ever amount that, that any teams have won a game in in the World Cup. If they hadn't scored those two goals, it would have just been a, <laughs> just a complete night of depression. But they came out in the second half and it absolutely went for it. And just a complete change in mentality. So, again, we just have to give them such such. I do go credit. back to it. And I'll say it again. I've said it before. We're not going to deep dive onto it. But I honestly feel the lockdown period was a wake-up moment for a lot of footballers, generally speaking. Because there were a lot of shock results in that period. And everyone said, oh, it's because the players' minds aren't in the right place. But what they realised was, during that, that time frame, was that the crowd made such a huge difference to the psychology of a football match. And I think a lot of players woke up to the fact that in terms of the level of quality between them and players at top teams, they can actually be a lot more confident of getting results as footballers. I think they've carried that through. We've seen much, many, many, many more shock results um, across the leagues than we have previously anyway. That's just one Hubers and Croft theory of many conspiracy theories. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Let's go to Group F. Yeah, let's wrap things up. Let's go to Group F. Croatia nil, Belgium nil. I was at that game. It had a great intensity. Both teams went for it. I think there were 15 shots by one team, 16 shots by the other. But it saw the Red Devils, Belgium, who were third place 
in Russia four years ago, knocked out in the group stage. Their manager, Roberto Martinez, confirming that he would leave his post after this game, after six years in charge. Um, not much to really reflect on from in the game, if you like, I guess. Uh, the chances late on for Romelu Lukaku is the big thing. I mean, he has to score. I mean, he probably has to score a hat-trick, but he has to score at least once. But I think ultimately, Belgium being knocked out wasn't about Lukaku. It was only his seventh appearance of the game. I think his fourth appearance in the last few months. He's had real struggles with injury, so I don't want to hammer him too much. But ultimately, over the three games, Belgium were just not good enough. And it's, for many people, the end of the golden generation hazard in that team. For example, the Tongan and Alderweireld and... You know, the likes of De Bruyne, who may or may not be back at the World Cup again. Um, and that was sad, I think, for many of the Belgian fans. But I'll go back to that point. They didn't deserve much more from this World Cup, Tom. No, definitely not. It was interesting. I don't know whether he'd agree with me on this. See if I can finally get him to agree with me this season. Um, it, I was listening to Gregor talk about how disappointing Denmark have been in this tournament. And I was watching tonight's game with Belgium and thought that, for me, they're the most disappointing team of the tournament. I appreciate that when you look at the team, there's a lot of players there that are probably no longer at the World Cup level, that have probably gone six months too far in their career, that maybe they would have, you know, in a summer tournament, might have had one final hurrah. But they've been so, so poor. Because, particularly the team you only need to look at to contrast them is the team they, they played tonight, Croatia. They've got similar issues, if you like, in that they've got an ageing squad in terms of players like Modric, Brozovic, Lovren, you know, the kind of spine of their team, Perisic. And yet they found ways to win and looked and did all the things that we've become accustomed to seeing them doing in the last few tournaments. Whereas Belgium just looks so lethargic, looks so uninspired. And they really, really disappointed me. I think the, their tournament is summed up entirely by Kevin De Bruyne's post-match interview in that first game when he was given the man of the match. And he kind of said, really? Maybe it's just the name. And I mean, that is Belgium to me. The, the name has been Belgium, top four of the FIFA rankings, this golden generation, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, they've been so poor, so lethargic, perhaps trading on that kind of reputation. But they seem to have no ideas. But I think Roberto Martinez, that's a good bit of PR to walk because he would undoubtedly have been pushed um, if he hadn't gone. You can't kind of have that. It, just the experience of that squad, you should have been able to get out of that group, really. So I would say, and I don't know whether you'd agree with me, Gregor, most disappointing side beyond Denmark for me. Absolutely. Look, they both scored one goal. I think Belgium had 34 attempts and scored one goal. Um, and that, that even surprises you. I think most of them must have been in this game because, as you alluded to, it was becoming a personal orde- ordeal for Lukaku in the second half. I felt sorry for him. Chances on his chest, his head, his knee. He hit the post. And as you say, you don't, you, you can't lay any blame at his door. But and he tried, you know, he, he wanted to be there and he tried to make the difference. But it turned into an absolute nightmare for him in the second half. So I, I kind of felt sorry for him, to be honest. And also, you saw Jeremy Doku, James Gabrant referenced him when when he was on the other night and how important he was for Belgium in the last tournament. And he's had a nightmare with injuries as well. And he came on, I think, it was like the last 15 minutes in this game and he looked really lively. You think, you know, it would have been great to have seen him. And Martinez must have wanted to play him, but he obviously wasn't fit enough either. So there have been issues, and clearly there's been issues behind the scenes too, just kind of personality clashes and people kind of calling each other out in public and even Martinez kind of getting involved in conspiracy theories in recent press conferences. So it's been a nightmare tournament for them and a really bad way for Martinez to 
to go out. And there's the whole conversation now about whether it's a wasted golden generation. Personally, I think it was slightly overblown all the time. I think there have been some, probably three, maybe four world-class players. And they've not necessarily all been players you would deem world-class at the same moment in time. Again, when we're taking these snapshots in time when these major tournaments come along. So I think what they've done has been kind of par for the course, if I'm being brutally honest. It's a population of like 11 million. You said they had four world-class players. That's a, that's a golden generation for Belgium. You know, it's, we're not saying it's a golden generation for world football, but it's certainly a golden generation for Belgium. And it's one that I think, look... OK, but they, but, but they finished third in the last World Cup and there were the other nations with better squads than them. They're always happy. So as, as I'm saying, that's why I think it's basically been par for the course although it's easy to say they could have done something they came pretty close they did come pretty close to be perfectly honest and look Roberto Martinez his contract was going to end it was up I think it's obvious that he was going to step down particularly with the group stage exit he's still technical director of Belgian football officially so I wonder if he will leave that role because he kind of stressed afterwards that his job was to future-proof Belgian football 21 of the 26 players in his squad already have a UEFA A licence, not to mention, you know, some of those out there who previously were in his squad. This generation's effect on Belgian football wasn't just about winning trophies. It's about being coaches in the country in the future. It's about sharing the knowledge of the great managers that they worked for, the Mourinho's and Guardiola's of this world, for example. And I think there is something to that, especially in such a, a small nation. Yes, it's about winning football matches, but maybe there is a bigger picture for Belgian football. That's all I wanted to say. Um, I still think he kind of underachieved, certainly in this tournament. I just don't think Belgium got going. And I think if they played the previous two matches with at least some of the tempo that they played the game against Croatia with, they probably wouldn't be going out, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, Tom, it, it, look, it's the end of a golden generation when you think of the ages there. Bitzel, 33. Vertonghen, 35, Alderweireld, 33, Mertens, 35, Mounier, 31, De Bruyne, 31. You've got Carrasco, 29, Hazard, 31, Lukaku, 29. Some of those players will be back at a World Cup, but obviously most will be towards, if not past, their mid-30s. And that will mean we've probably seen the, the best of them, or at least they'll be past their peak. So in a way, there was you can understand the sadness for those Belgian players and the tears that were in Martinez's eyes during his his press conference. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, in that sense, you know, I'm a, I'm a rom-com guy. I love, I love a fairy tale in that sense. Of course it's sad, but I, I still can't get past the disappointment because you can come to the end of your career. And as I said, I can't get past the idea that, you know, Croatia are of a similar level in terms of, I'm sure if you read through the ages of their squads, those players that I've already name-checked, Perisic, Brozovic, you know, these players have been at tournaments before. They were at their peaks of the la- at the last World Cup. They're still finding ways to win. That, to me, is what's disappointing, in that it felt like Belgium were just turning up for a kind of farewell lap of honour, almost, not turning up to play, not turning up to perform. If anything, that's where I agree with Gregor on feeling sorry for Romelu Lukaku, because if the players who were starting and who were fit had shown the level of intensity and the desire that Lukaku showed whenever he came on for his little cameos whilst being only 60% fit, they might have had a chance. That's where you end up feeling sorry for Lukaku, that there'll be all the memes about, oh, he's missed the sitter again, et cetera, et cetera, because he showed a level of desire and commitment and passion that was so lacking. So, yeah, 
you can do the whole fairy tale sad ending, but I can't get I can't not right now anyway. Maybe in a few days I'll get sad for them, but not right now. I'm too I'm too annoyed. I've got to say on a personal note, it was an absolute pleasure to watch Luka Modric today. I mean, I've already seen him play in the flesh before, but he was fantastic. I mean, absolutely ageless, peerless central midfielder who there were a couple of incredible passes from Kevin De Bruyne. No, he just conducted the orchestra so wonderfully. And I know, you look, it was a game where the momentum swayed each way, but every time Modric got near the ball, you knew that he would be able to calm things down. Uh, some of the passes, the way that he's still able to cover the ground, I mean, he's obviously a very light player. Fitness level's still there. I mean, you, you wouldn't put it past him going on for a few more years, honestly, for his country, that is, let alone his career as a whole. Um, and De Bruyne, some beautiful through balls, that really should have ended in goals. Um, but he wasn't where he needed to be in this tournament. But yeah, I think Belgium were one of those sides that did suffer from not getting into the groove that I mentioned a little bit earlier on. Because um, even though you talk about those ageing players from Croatia, they felt, it felt like they were in the groove, especially those three in the middle who just know each other so, so well. Brozovic, uh, Kovacic and Modric. I mean, they were just honestly in orbit. It was incredible. Uh, to see them sharing the midfield role, if you like, as, as a one, it was it was fantastic to see. But um, you think about the changes in that area for Belgium, and you think, what is Dendonka or Witzel or Tielemans off the bench? You know, have they all got settled roles? Do they all really have that fluid relationship? Not nowhere near that of Croatia. Those three players must have played together probably sixty times for their country already. So. So yeah, I think look, Belgium deserved to go out. Sad for their fans, um, but a big get, a big name out of the World Cup. Another big name out of the World Cup on a, a, a strange, strange day. I also want to mention Josko Kvardiol from RB Leipzig, who was fantastic in central defence for Croatia. Twenty years That's old, okay, Gregor. Yeah. Honestly, today I watched him and went, "Oh, he's just added about thirty million pounds to his price tag." Yeah, he's kind of little forties up the pitch as well sometimes, and. You know, he just drives out of defence, kind of like a slightly more in control Harry Maguire, and then and then his tackle at the end on Lukaku as well. My God, I mentioned all those chances. That was another one. He had a chance. He controlled it, and then he came came from nowhere and hooked it away. Yeah, he's 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 a player. Incredible. Right, let's move to another one of the shock names through to the knockout stages. Who deserves huge credit? Morocco. They're through as group winners. They'll face Spain next, but they are the first African group winner since Nigeria back in 1998. So there's absolutely huge news. Massive for them. They beat Canada uh, by two goals to one. Pretty much held them at arm's length for most of that game. But yeah, I just want to give them more credit, Gregor, um, for the work rate. Actually, they showed real quality today, even though the you know, the first goal was certainly a gift. The second one for me was poor goalkeeping from Bourgen, uh, responsible for both of the goals. But actually, I think in terms of defending their lead, Morocco have only conceded one goal. That was today an own goal in their last seven games, which kind of underlines where their strength is. Yeah, I mean, they were. you're right in saying they were given, I think it was two gifts, yeah. Obviously, the first one, the goalkeeper, what a dream that is, dream start. And then just a, a straight ball over the top. And, you know, we were, Speaking about Canada again the other night, seeing how much we enjoyed watching them in periods and then how naive they were defensively, and this is just another example of that. And yeah, as you say, solid defensively. Naya Fagard came, I watched him 
several times for West Ham because I was covering them in Europe and that's where he got his kind of fitness back just before the World Cup and I was really impressed with him. He can play a, a raking kind of diagonal pass. He's commanding, composed on the ball and I think he's he's formed a good relationship with Sice at the back there. So I think it's the first time in, in 36 years that they've qualified for the knockout stage as well. So it's obviously a, a huge moment, a huge achievement and when you look at the team's that are going out. It's another group that you just just been turned upside down, isn't it? Yeah, Tom, Morocco, fantastic for them. Um, and it's a squad that's together. And it's amazing because the manager only took charge a few months ago to have his team playing with this spirit togetherness. He brought back in Hakim Ziyech, who scored the first goal. Every, th- every decision that he's making, is, it seems to be working out for them. Yeah, definitely. And I think you mentioned Ziyech there and some of those players being really together. I think for us as English football fans, seeing players like Ziyech and even Sofiane Bufal, players that perhaps we haven't seen the best of in English football in the Premier League producing. But also, I mean, I know you've taken uh, deserved credit for backing Japan. I'm looking at this team and thinking, why on earth did I not tip Morocco? Because you look at that back four, Gregor's picking out Agard, but Hakimi and Mazraoui as fullbacks, they're pretty good fullbacks in terms of there aren't many others in the in the competition. If you, you could say, okay, you've got two attacking fullbacks. I remember watching Masraoui for that Ajax team and kind of the one everyone fell in love with. And he was superb for them. Hakimi's obviously been around a couple of top, top level European teams. Next to Agard, you've got Saiz, who we know from his time at Wolves is incredibly solid. So that back four gives you a real plan platform to build on. And when you've got players like Ziyech, I mean, he'll be a hell of a signing for a Premier League club, won't he? Probably for big money. Oh, wait. Uh, hang on, no, that's already happened. But I'm sure Chelsea fans must be looking at him thinking, hey, we've got a hell of a player when he comes back. And all of it buying in, they'll give Spain a hell of a game, I think, in the knockouts. One player as well is uh, Amrabat in the middle of the pitch as well. I think he was linked with, with Spurs in the summer and now Liverpool are being linked with him. He's, I think you can see why too. He's proper all-action, very kind of strong in the tackle, but he can also spring attacks. I think yeah, I've been impressed with them too. So yeah, they look like a well-rounded team, absolutely. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how far they can go now. Well, that was going to be my next question. Uh, what kind of game do you think they will give Spain, Gregor? Well, like, like I say, it's been as much as we've, we've just kind of spoken about Spain's, the chinks in their armour, they are still the team who look most like a club side and the, the, the way they dominate the play and the way that how, how well coached they look actually, I know that sounds a bit contradictory after the kind of negatives have been saying, but that's still true. And it's, if they can if they can take their opportunities that they create, if they can create enough opportunities and take them in the periods that we know they're going to be on top, you know they're going to average seventy percent of the ball at least, then there'll be a hard prospect for any teams, any any nation they face. Still, it's just that as I've said, Morocco have been so impressive defensively that, and they've got the threats on the break that it's going to be an intriguing one I, I, don't ask me to, to call it <laughs> boo I've had a bad time with that recently I'll, I'll call it Morocco on pens I'm calling it now 2-2 Morocco on pens there you what go. do you think about uh, Croatia and Japan then Tom Oh, now there is a tough one I would say that probably having given them credit for some of the things that I was criticising Belgium for I'd say that Croatia will find a way of getting the job done with those experienced players and those players that you mentioned, Brozovic uh, and Modric. I know fully understand the love in for Luka Modric, but Marcelo Brozovic has a special place in my heart from ever always watching him at international level. He's just one of those players that's so important to a team and doesn't get anywhere near the credit he deserves, understandably, because he's playing next to Luka Modric. But 
I think those kind of players will find a way to get the job done. They'll probably be completely aware of that kind of uh, smash and grab tactic that Japan can sometimes unleash and they will be prepared to shut it down. Okay, loads to look forward to at this World Cup. We're almost there. Final group games coming for you a little bit later on. And a one special mention before we end the podcast to Stephanie Frappart, Noiser Back, Karen Diaz-Medina, the first all-female refereeing team at the Men's World Cup ever. I don't want to dwell on it because it should happen. If you're good enough, you should be there, same as the footballers. And they clearly are, so that's it. But I do think it is a moment that should be um, certainly marked as a special occasion at this World Cup. And hopefully it will be the norm in World Cups to come. Uh, Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark, thank you for being with me. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more tomorrow. Remember, loads of great journalism on the Times app right now. Just hit sport. Download it wherever you get your apps from. You can subscribe, of course, online as well. Check it out, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Hit notifications. You won't miss an episode of this every day as well. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.